Hello and welcome to episode 107 of The Brand Lounge, the place for unfiltered conversations on big topics for small businesses. I'm Tammy Heels, founder of Shadow Cat Creative, where I'm a personal brand and marketing consultant, and I show service-based businesses how to define and grow their business through their brand. And today I am joined by Victoria Jenkins, disability advocate, speaker and writer, and founder of her own business, Unhidden. Thank you so much for joining me today, Victoria. You're welcome, Tammy. Thanks for having me. And today, listeners, Victoria and I are talking about digital ableism and representation. So we're going to be talking about what it is, the effects that it has on so many and what we can do and our responsibility as business owners to a certain degree to make those changes and support others to have a better day-to-day experience in our very heavily online world. So Victoria, let's dive straight on in. I love starting these episodes by taking it back to basics so that everyone can be on the same page. So when we're talking about digital ableism and representation, can you just define what those mean to you? Sure. Uh, So digital ableism or ableism in general is the prejudice against um, the disabled community that the non-disabled are superior to them. And it expresses itself in a number of ways, but it's also, you know, this is something that affects non-disabled people as well. You know, ableism doesn't, it doesn't hold itself only to people with disabilities. And representation is, I mean, the fact that there's one in five people in the UK are disabled, and yet no one knows that fact until I say it generally. <laughs> um, it just shows like how little we don't show disability. And also that we only tend to show wheelchair users or amputees when they actually make up not even 50% of disabled people. So there's a lot missing, basically. The conversation around disability is still really long overdue and things are changing, but there's still a lot that needs to be done. And when we're talking about it as small business owners, because you're a small business owner as well, I am too. When we're talking about it from our perspective, so I guess a slightly smaller scale than the the huge, huge conversations. What's our role within this as small business owners? I think it's, you know, if you're, especially if you're starting a small business, it's going to be much easier to just build in accessibility now rather than trying to shoehorn it in later on, which is, you know, the big problem that a lot of the bigger companies are having. So it's simple things like making sure you always use captions that you always write image descriptions, that you consider the length of any product or service that you're doing, that you know, not everybody's going to be able to have that attention span for that amount of time. And, you know, in the same way that we're, you know, it's we do seem to be aware of people with epilepsy, you know, if there's flashing lights, you know, we've had that kind of messaging on TV shows for such a long time. And again, you know, we've just, we've got so far and then we just stopped. So it's about, <laughs> you know, it's about making sure that um, deaf and hard of hearing and blind and visually impaired are feel, feel included as well, as well as anyone with, you know, neurodivergent um, conditions and learning disabilities. Like there's so there's so much to it. It can mean a bit more time and effort, but once you get used to doing it, then it's just part of your routine. So it's kind of, it's really about normalizing it. Perfect. And one thing that I do want to ask, because this is something that I have seen in a lot of the conversations when I've been doing my research and just generally in society, there seems to be, there's a lot more understanding that things need to change, although there's a lot of confusion around how to actually do that what our individual responsibility is in actually stepping up and making those steps. Because I think a lot of this has to start with admitting that you don't know what to do and not knowing where to start. And it does feel like an uncomfortable conversation to begin with because you don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to seem like you're jumping on trends. You want to genuinely make these changes, but literally, particularly for those of us 
who maybe are starting businesses with very little knowledge when it comes to being technologically savvy. It may just be something that they don't know about. So we're going to cover a little bit around some of the changes that we can make as business owners to be a bit more savvy. But one of the flip sides to that that I see a lot is, oh, but all of these disabilities are popping up out of nowhere all of a sudden everyone has ADHD or someone has something or something has another and my personal view is that it's just we have better diagnostic tools better support better understanding and society is changing to make it more acceptable to actually seek support for these kind of non-visible disabilities but from your perspective what how do we approach that conversation where we're kind of met with those sort of objections and how do we move past those views if they are views that we hold um I mean I think it's one of those it's like anything when any kind of marginalized group starts to step into their power and start advocating for themselves the initial response is always is it a thing no it's not because we've all been taught that it's not a thing or we've been taught ableism and you know no one intentionally says you must always be horrible to disabled people no one teaches that but there's you know it's 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 just how society is set up so I think I think so long as people remember you know you're going to get it wrong I get things wrong you know I've used the wrong phrases or the wrong terminology you know as we as we learn more and more about pronouns it's really easy to get things wrong but I think you just have to accept that you will apologize for it and move on and it can be really simple to make these changes you know it's the very very basic thing really is just to ask for access needs and people you know that might not identify as disabled but need some kind of accommodation it's going to make it easier for them and even as non-disabled people you know if you really don't if you're really exhausted or you know you're going to be for example then you might not want a three-hour zoom call so you could say your access need is Please, you know, either have regular breaks built into this session or can, you know, can I be off camera, especially if you're not feeling well. I think sometimes, especially now everything is digital. There's definitely that habit to sort of switch your camera off if you're not feeling great. And then somebody might think, well, they're not participating, you know, in the same way that all we've all believed that if someone's working from home, they're not really working. Now, we've proved that's not true over the last 18 months. If anything, we go the other way. So it's. I think it's about questioning, you have to question yourself, like, why, what is that reaction? Where is it coming from? And where did you learn it? And then, you know, it's, it's, it's nobody's fault, generally speaking now. Um, but it's, you know, once you know, it's just stopping that cycle and thinking about where you got the idea from and what are you really objecting to? Absolutely. And I think that you've covered some wonderful examples there that maybe many others I hadn't even considered either, particularly with things like understanding that it is down to an individual basis, not only it, this isn't just about broad spectrum. There's no one size fits all sort of application. And some people, you know, there's people that have all the same conditions as me and they don't call themselves disabled, you know, or they won't or they won't use the phrase invisibly disabled it's kind of it was all very much up to the individual so it's just you know when you ask what are your access needs that covers everything and there was you know there will be things that people will say that I haven't thought of I generally try and think of most things but that makes it easier yeah when you think about it the answer seems so simple just to ask (laughs) what their needs are But I feel almost like instead society has spent so long trying to preempt what people need without asking them. Yeah. It can be quite difficult. I feel like 
almost the last two years of being in lockdown restrictions and the way that the world has changed and and people having different reactions to getting back out into the world for various reasons I mean we were talking before we hit record around our um our hugging tolerances now (laughs) and like I've still kept myself fairly isolated partly from practical reasons partly from personal preference and partly just because of circumstance whereas I know that others have chosen to go out and it feels like we're a lot more accepting when we have these conversations now so perhaps the easiest answer is just to ask individually yeah what is it that you need how can we make this optimal for you because if you're providing the optimal situation for any individual then that's going to be better for everyone involved isn't it absolutely and I think you know if you if you think about that you know the the way to prove that you are doing it authentically is you did ask so you know if, if you ask and no one for whatever reason is responding to what you've suggested them you know that you've done it but if they know that also they can ask and you will then do what you can to make that happen you know then it's non-performative it's not virtue signaling it's just doing you know the 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 nice kind and correct thing because I think that's the other problem is sometimes there are definitely some spaces where people say you need to change this because this is inaccessible for xyz people and the response might be we're looking into it but we can't do it and you know sometimes that really is true especially when it comes to like hiring bsl so british sign language Um, so hiring interpreters for that you know they cost they cost money and it's for a small business it's really really hard we used one for the website launch last year but you know they're hundreds of pounds but you wouldn't have to hire a bsl interpreter if you knew that everyone coming to whatever event it is that you're doing if they don't need it you don't need to hire somebody you know but you'd only know that if you ask people it's brilliant when events just have them anyway like i think that's that's obviously if you can afford to do that that's incredible but that's not you know again it, it does come down to money i think even you know the, the trying to be accessible within some social media platforms is just really hard anyway because you're restricted by the platform. If they're not accessible, then, you know, I'm not Instagram, so I can't make the changes needed to make Instagram more accessible. There are there are more and more tools that are coming available of making it accessible. It took forever to bring out the captions, but finally they did. <laughs> yeah, and there are third-party apps that you can do, and I think that that's probably going to be one of the counters that, or one of the objections that I see come up very frequently is it does take extra time, but... Can we just talk about what the impact of taking that extra time can actually have? Well, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think of a stat if I've got one in my brain, but like the the impact in terms of, you know, consumer loyalty, you imagine, you know, as a deaf person, if you have never, ever seen someone in a brand that you like using BSL and then suddenly one day they do, you're going to do everything you can to support that brand, to shop with that brand, to tell other people about it and cheerlead and it, it has a profound effect of feeling included makes a huge difference you know we've seen that over the last 18 months across every marginalized group so you know every it's kind of an everybody wins and no one really loses it is it can be time consuming but that's only because we've never done it before you know once it's once you have to do it and you're always doing it that just becomes the time it takes to do that task yeah. so it's yeah I mean it's don't get me wrong like sometimes especially when it comes to tra- transcribing notes that's a very timely time-consuming thing to do but the impact it has is so positive it's like you know if you know that you should do that but you don't it's kind of you know it's just it's not very kind and there might come a time when you know people will need it themselves and they'll wish that they'd have that because you know a lot of people aren't born with disabilities it's 80 percent of people with disabilities acquire them over their lifetime so that's you know it's very likely that disability will touch people at some point in their life and if 
we can make the world more accessible for when that happens then again you know it just makes it's not such a shock then to go from non-disabled to disabled because we've already got things in place that make it equal yeah absolutely so let's talk a little bit more in detail about the changes that we can make and the changes that are within our realms of possibility for small business owners so I've kind of broken this down to three different sections that I feel would be probably the most useful for the majority of business owners again this is just to start the conversation encourage everyone out there to have a look at their own business individually and see what they can do ask the questions so social media is probably one of the biggest ones I would say that every business owner of some description will have some form of social media presence yeah in general like sweeping generalizations but um whether that's LinkedIn whether that's Instagram, Facebook, whatever else it would be. So do you have like a couple of core quick things that people can just build into their routine that they can use to make it more accessible? So definitely switching on captions. It's, you know, it's on Instagram, it's in that gift box. I never know what you're supposed to call it. That box that has all the selection of things you can do. Turning on captions is sort of priority one. And then as well as that, it's um, alt text descriptions and the reason I bring that up and I know I've talked to you about this before is that in a world where everyone's creating content through Canva um, screen readers cannot interpret Canva um, created graphics so it doesn't matter if you've got text on it it will not show up which is why you will see some people that write um, an image description within the caption and then you can save that and also um, using the accessibility function write that alt text in the, you know so if you have to go in the back end of your your own post and type it in there as well because Instagram will you can switch it on for it to automatically write alt text for photos, but that does not work with Canva. So, you know, that's, you can just do that. And whenever you use any um, video, try and have, you don't have to describe in detail the video, that would take up so much space, but you can give a gist, you know, so that for someone that can't see it, use that. I mean, TikTok's actually quite good. TikTok, when you write text, you can decide whether it's going to be read out over the top as well, which is quite helpful for some people. Um, it can sound really jarring. Like I've definitely heard somewhere that they've got full accessibility, but you're looking at going, whoa, that's a lot of information because I'm watching it and I'm hearing it and I'm reading it. You know, so there's obviously there's levels to it and a finesse, but those are the really simple things. And I, again, actually to ask people, you know, if you've got followers or you've got customers, use polls. You know, that's, you know, your consumers, the people following you can tell you what they need or what they would like to see. And then you just, you know, you just sort of bring them on that journey with you because people want to see that you're trying and you never know who's watching and who it might then make them realise they could be doing more. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen a few more smatterings within kind of my existing feed where people are adding the description into the into the caption underneath the image I didn't know that about Canva however I did kind of assume that because any any text that is on a graphic because it's a flattened graphic nothing can read that it it counts as a picture it no longer counts as text yeah I use Facebook creator studio I think it's called to do my planning for my Instagram and you can add the old text in there great so you can do it the same same on websites actually because Shopify does allow every image you can click and write the alt text for it yeah so I think that most websites we'll talk a little bit more about websites in a moment I also want to touch on um (laughs) there was something that I saw recently 
where it was someone who uses a screen reader and they were saying that this new meme that's going around around the red flags like yes that spamming those emojis can make your screen can make screen readers just flip out and it makes it a really un, unhelpful and not pleasant experience for anyone using a screen reader so I guess yeah. with that is also being aware that emojis and everything like that helpful great they're there to add that description that visual description to text because we're limited with our fonts fonts usually allow us to add inflection whereas we can't do that we use emojis but just be mindful that if you're spamming the same emoji over and over and over again then for people who are using screen readers that's going to be quite an unpleasant experience yeah and also that flag one it doesn't say red flag it just says triangle flag so if it's after something to say triangle flag triangle flag triangle flag (laughs) you're listening to like okay what are they trying to say with it maybe write it out instead yeah exactly and well yeah just don't use 20 of the same emoji in a row like we get the point Yeah, note to self, limit myself on the number of cat emojis that I use. And I was like, how many do I use in a row? (laughs) But I think it's one of those that you need to find that middle ground, like be mindful of the experience for everyone involved. Emojis have their place. I, when they first came out, I, I didn't really understand the point of having emojis, but understanding how they can add inflection and visual narrative to a very static post is really helpful. It's helpful for those of us who learn from visual means. So again, it's not just whether it's a disability focus, it is a learning preference, whatever it is, just be mindful of how you're doing it within reason. It's also because we're limited with the caption length as well. So it does, you know, you can use one tiny emoji instead of a whole sentence. So there is... Yeah, you can use captions to summarize. I know when I'm doing transcriptions, I still remove filler words because although they feel natural when you're listening, they don't feel natural when you're reading. So it's still being mindful of the best experience for that person in that format, not just having it there and it's just you, you can just chuck it out if you want. But honestly, having read some of the stuff that comes through when I'm transcribing podcasts, they don't always get it. Accents are an issue. <laughs> oh, yes, they are. I mean, it's quite, I do quite enjoy it. It's quite funny watching someone who doesn't mind and finds it funny when they're like, yeah, it does not get my accent at all. And then you end up having to retype the caption anyway. So you think, well, that's, yeah, that's a pest for them. I, my um, my other half's a Geordie, um, who's been down in the South oh, for a okay. while, but he's still got a Geordie accent. And the challenge we even have with Alexa sometimes <laughs> I mean I've always found Glaswegians I do really feel for because they're like they really are stuck I think with Alexa and Google and captions like they just don't know what's happening yeah we need more um Scottish technologically developing uh tech yes. for us. <laughs> Um, so when we're talking about social media let's touch on representation as well so how can we be more representative of in, on a broader scale because generally speaking particularly when we're starting out we're going to be using the same stock image websites let's not lie we're all using pexels and unsplash and if you're not check out pexels and unsplash yeah unsplash is oh such a game changer so how can we be more representative within the content that we're putting out i think i mean i know i don't know if this is a controversial opinion i know everyone worries about ticking boxes but those boxes deserve to be ticked So, you know, I think people need to keep in mind if you're going to use the word diversity, you have to embrace every marginalised demographic because quite often, you know, everyone will say age, race, gender, sexuality, LGBTQ, and then they just don't say disability. But disability is in each of those groups as well as non-disabled and as well as non-marginalised groups. So I think, you know, you should probably should do a a tick. The one thing I will say, actually, because I've noticed this a lot over the last few weeks, and it's funny that you say unsplash, 
everybody is using the same shot and same photo from Unsplash and it's a woman a white woman with a black prosthetic arm I'm like oh my gosh I've seen so many people use that to just highlight they're talking about disability I'm like need to get some new stock images um, and I did come across a like a stock image website, but it was, you know, it was a subscription service and it was actually really expensive, but it had unending pictures of people with disabilities. But it was still it wasn't really, a you know, as a small business, you can't, you know, if you had to do that for each marginalized group, that would add up to like £100 a month subscription and you just can't do that. So, yeah, I think it's just be mindful of who you're trying to reach and why. And it might be a case that you might have to sort of explain your journey with it a little bit. And just sort of say, look, you know, we're all going to get things wrong. Let's just all accept we're going to get it wrong. And then when we do just, you know, don't be like, oh, I feel like the word, don't centre yourself in it. You know, we know we know not to do that, but I think it's quite easy. It just reminded me, it just popped into my head. You mentioned something earlier on that I just want to clarify because it's a term that I have had in use more and more recently, which is virtue signalling. Could you just explain what that is for anyone who is unfamiliar or uncertain around what that is and what? what it means what it, what the impact is of course but well, I think virtue signaling is kind of it's essentially you're doing the right thing because you should be doing the right thing but when you do it from a sort of righteous perspective rather like it's a bit more performative than authentic engagement the problem is it's really hard you know I sort of look at whenever I post and think well technically that's virtue signaling because nobody no one's talking about this but yeah I think it's it's to make it's virtue signaling is when you're centering yourself as someone who is doing the right thing in a group that perhaps you're not actually part of and to just be wary of that because people will pull you up for it but it's it's difficult because what I might think is virtue signaling somebody else might not so again it's so much nuance to everything and that again that's why we all just have to accept that we're going to get these things wrong absolutely absolutely and I think it all comes down to intention isn't it if you're doing it from a place of good intention and it's something that you're building into your longer term strategy yeah then I think that just carry on if that's the way that feels right for you to show your support and the way you're trying to make these changes regardless of what others may whether they do see it as a mistake or not you're as long as you're doing it from a, a good place and a good intention then you can't really go wrong you can just learn and grow but if it's just a one-off thing because it's a I don't know a national awareness day it's the same concept it's pestered for years and years around mental health isn't it it's like people are only bigger companies are only interested in their employees mental health when it's mental health awareness and the rest of the time their employees are like what the fuck man where's the rest of our support where's the the support you were great last last year that's the thing I think it's yeah if it's if it's something that you do once and then you never discuss again then it's you know people are gonna notice yeah thank you I just wanted to clarify because it is It's one of those terms that once you hear it and once you understand it, you know what it is and you hear it everywhere. But if it's not something that you've encountered, I just feel that it's important that we kind of define these things as we go. Cool. So we've covered social media. Let's talk a little bit about websites, because, again, I would say I think there's a stat that I used in one of my presentations for my podcasting business recently, which is that there are 1.86 billion websites out there. I know, right? Staggering numbers. I would say that a website is probably one of the first forms of online presence that people consider for their business. So how can we make these changes for our websites to be more accessible? So having an accessibility statement is, and I don't even have one for Unhidden's page, to be honest, as I say that, it's something that I still need to write. Um, having you know having that option asking people like you can say if you have an access need for any particular thing that you're doing to ask there is also then you have to consider font the easiest way to tell if you there's actually only I think really 
at the moment there's five super the most accessible fonts there's only five of them so if you can put a lowercase i and l and then a capital i and l next to each other and you can't tell the difference between which those are then it's not an accessible font interesting yeah which is really annoying when we think about how much we all love branding and the handwriting fonts and things they're just not accessible it doesn't mean that you can't use those things you just have to accept that you are you know you might have to add something in later on or have a different look page i mean i think there are platforms and back ends that are being developed now that sort of they will the, you know, someone can click to use that and it will change the way that your website looks to them, but it's not actually anything you need to worry about. But that is, it's costly for now. And it's, you know, it's not something that anyone really expects. The most important thing is, can they read it? Are there image descriptions? Have you got things flashing and loads of music? You know, like if it's embedded, you know, we've all had an embedded video, it just pelts out at you. You know, like even just when we watch stories on Instagram and suddenly go, whoa, I, was, I didn't realise I turned the sound on. It's just being mindful of those and making sure that the option to switch things off or pause them is possible and not overcrowding it. You know, if you can't read text against something, you know, if you think about people who are colorblind and you've got all this color going on, they can't really differentiate. And if there's text in something, you know, it just it's really easy for things to get lost. Yeah, I would always recommend to if you can. And I do. I'm going to say this with a pinch of salt because, again, I am a designer and these are not always practices that I have or will implement. But having lighter fonts on darker backgrounds or darker fonts on light backgrounds yeah the most legible will always be kind of dark or dark gray on an white or off white or flip that round now with dark mode which is available so many places which I personally adore yeah I like dark mode <laughs> but just thinking about it with the fonts and the accessibility because particularly where there is a need for design because there is still a need for design within business it is still something that needs to be visually appealing so we need to find that balance or that alternative so potentially would there be a way that we could have maybe um, download this page in pdf format that is available in different fonts yeah yeah i think people do yeah people do do it that way yes for sure i mean i still need to build the book i wrote a book i still need to rebuild that because i i created it all in canva not knowing that canva was a problem and then a brilliant blind um influencer on instagram she's sort of told me what the problem was and it's not quite a rewrite i just have to copy all the text out and then page by page put it onto a blank background where there isn't any imagery because it's you know at the end of the day it is a book so it's not needed i wonder how it works with things like kindle as well well that's the thing i thought that had got around it so i uploaded it to amazon and i sent her that copy to check as well because she had like you know an array of different types of screen readers and she said that still even even though it was uploaded through amazon and it still wasn't yeah she still couldn't read it Oh, how interesting. Because one of my favourite features on um, Kindle is that you could hold down your hand on a word and you can um, bring up the dictionary definition. Oh, wow. See, I've got a really old Kindle. I've like It will actually be 10 this year. So... <laughs> And it still works. It still works. But oh, I wouldn't mind a new Kindle, actually. But yeah, it doesn't have that capability. <laughs> but yeah, I feel that that is a wonderful capability. And that for me is something that I really enjoy and miss when I'm reading paper books now, because I'm like, I don't know what this word needs. I need to find my phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that or a thesaurus, which who has, I don't think we've, I'm looking around at our bookshelves now. I don't think we have a thesaurus. I don't think that I have one. I've got a dictionary that I was given as I think everyone in the UK was given these at a set age when you left primary school so year six so what's that year 
how old were you like nine and ten eleven is, is it eleven ish yeah eleven and then you're eleven twelve in year seven yeah ten ten ish when you're like ten ish yeah you're given like this <laughs> tiny tiny little dictionary which I can't even imagine how out of date that is now signed by your principal like he's yeah. some kind of celebrity <laughs> Love that. I do you know that brings back so many floods of memories I've just had. You know, like when we had to do the, the harvest festival and everyone had to bring in tinned goods that were being sent off here, there, and everywhere. Don't think I don't know if people still do those, do they? I don't know. Um, I remember that I used to do um country dancing when I was <gasps> yes, yeah, farm dances. We used to go to um Wells Cathedral in the city of Wells, and we used to dance around St. Cuthbert's Church, which is the church that's used in the film Hot Fuzz, which I always find funny. Oh, that's brilliant. And I remember one year, there were so many of these primary school kids that were dancing on the ground after it had been raining that all of these worms started coming on up, and it was just like, it was it was a horrific memory that I'm sure I've exaggerated. Say, that sounds <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, fun times when you think back. Anyway, that was a total tangent from Kindles. Oh, Okay, screen readers, yes. So Canva, whilst it is a fabulous tool, I do feel that it is still, it will always have its limitations. It's one of those things. I, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that they'll update it, all their capabilities, because there's there must be a way for them to sort of up their accessibility levels. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that there probably is somebody working on it, you know, but it's such a big company. It's not like little old me is going to make much of a difference, but... <laughs> hey. That kind of language, one person can make all the difference. And you're making so much more of a difference because you are doing things like writing your book, which you are more than welcome to plug and we will put in the show notes. So tell us a little bit about your book um, before we kind of continue. Okay, so well, so the book came out of realising that obviously I spent five years developing Unhidden and therefore being quite immersed in the disabled community there's so many things that I've just picked up and now that they are embedded into how I think that I take for granted and if I speak to somebody new and mention something and they look completely stunned and ask me what is it you're saying I thought oh lots of people don't know these things and it's you know it's sort of forgetting I take it for granted that I know these things anyway and you know like you said earlier there is a lot of there's a lot of guilt and a lot of fear of getting it wrong so I thought well, why not sort of give people a hand like it's really really simple to understand Um, there's some of it there's a section that is based on language that just sort of you know things not to say and things you know if there is a replacement for them sometimes there isn't sometimes it's something we just should stop saying Um, and other times it's you know this is what you could say instead because I think you know once you start to realize those things and it's not that it's necessarily every single person is going to have a problem with each of those words or phrases or behaviors but if you're at least aware of them then you know again you can make that choice so it was the idea behind it was to be like a, a guilt-free friendly with a tiny touch of sass guide on just how to be a better ally like in work and at home but like honestly it's it's just it's literally called the little book of ableism because I plan on having turning it into a series and sort of diving a bit deeper into some of the different things like having a whole book on digital ableism and then a whole book on sort of physical spaces because even just writing the history of ableism that was going to be chapter one and it was taking up so much I thought I actually that has to be a whole book on itself it can't actually be in here because there's so much and you have to really sort of you can't just say a really bold dreadful statement and then just move on to the next thing you know like people need context also if I started with that no one would have read that book because it's it's, there's no way around it it's dark it is very very dark the human history of what we've done to disabled people is awful um, and it still occurs. That's the other problem is that it's still happening. You know, we're literally watching right now 
some social eugenics going on and it's you know it's really difficult to witness that because a lot of the language and the ways that it's being excused are what we've done consistently for hundreds of years sorry gosh went, went down and dark <laughs> no 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 because these conversations like anyone who this is their first introduction to digital ableism I never want it to come across as something as easy and flippant as oh well if you add your old text and if you don't you know make sure that you're using something as an alternative to Canva if you're releasing something like a book or like your social graphics or whatever else those are all great things that we can do to make the day-to-day easier but this is bigger than the day-to-day this goes so much deeper than that and the whole adage of well that's the way we've always done it is never helpful in any fucking context ever it's really you know every time someone says it I'm like yeah how things have always been done is a bit broken I think you know you know it's it's like when people say oh we can't say anything anymore I'm like Sorry, you want to keep saying things that you've just been told are harmful. Why do you want to hold on to that language or that way of thinking or that way of behaving? I mean, you know, we look at that specifically when it comes to misogyny and you're like, yeah, you just don't get to get away with saying all the awful things that you or doing the awful things you've done. So I have limited sympathy for you feeling hurt about not being allowed to do those things anymore. Right. Oh, I'm so sorry that you have to cut those words in that that way that you're speaking to someone out of your language that shouldn't have been there in the first place. There was no space for that. Just because it's been accepted doesn't mean that it will continue to be accepted. Like the way that I used to cry and whinge when I was a toddler is going to be less tolerated (laughs) now. It doesn't mean that I'm going to stand here and go, well, mother, you let me do this for six years at the start of my life. Yeah, why can't I do this now? I'm going to stab my foot. <laughs> right, absolutely. No, gone are the days where you're dressed in dungarees so that if you throw a tantrum, you can just be scooped up by the back <laughs> and carried on out. Like, it doesn't happen anymore. We learn, we grow, and we progress as individuals and as a society. And I think that having these conversations is the start of it, but understanding that there is more to it, dark or not, generally dark, because that's why we don't talk about it. That's where, and the whole, I mean, I mean, I mean, history, my goodness. History is always going to be written by the people who come out wanting themselves to be seen in the best light. That's why a lot of the history that we learned when we were younger I mean I'm my mid-30s now a lot of the things that I was taught when I was growing up in schools have been debunked or changed or adapted or we only heard like we had you know sort of only the good things but there was years where we didn't you know like you'd have the battle of Hastings which god that you know there was that and then there was nothing for loads of years you know like that's because we weren't doing anything good in that time we were doing quite bad things where we did not come out well. And even that, yeah, like you say, there's history got rewritten or things were omitted. Yeah. And as and there's been people, I mean, I still find it interesting, people that sort of try and defend people that we know now, like we have a bit of a fuller picture. It's not anyone's fault. We weren't told the truth and now we know it. It's not saying remove them from history because that's not how history works. But it does mean we reform and reshape how we interpret them and whether or not they get to keep their posthumous titles or statues or tributes when we know that they're pretty awful. Yeah. And it's, it is really difficult because it is going against your personal view and attachment that you have formed to these people and these ideals. It's not the individual that we remember it's our perception from the information that we had and as new information becomes available that should alter our perception it always should it should in from a personal level within relationships 
let alone in a grander context of heroes and icons and celebrities and these people who are influencing not just individuals but generations they hold a certain amount of they hold a certain amount of accountability but then again they're not responsible for the way that we perceive them yeah so we have to be held accountable to our own views yeah I think you you actually have to go through like a grieving process with it because everything you thought you knew and loved is you know they suddenly turn out not to be who you wanted them to be or who you've been told they are yeah it's hard it's yeah. really hard because especially you know especially when we think about music and films and so on you know suddenly there's some genres of music or people that you feel uncomfortable listening to now and it's it's horrible but it's it's better to do that than to sweep it all under the rug like we used to because look at what damage was being done when we were treating these people as if they were untouchable yeah absolutely. not, not very much good came from doing that so. no not very much good which is why we're having these horrible conversations now horrible <laughs> sound like such a child whatever they are aren't they because you're just like just like god how who else in the 80s did anyone behave because it seems like no they didn't and everyone just let them. So at least now it means that there are better processes and procedures in place now. And it feels like, you know, I know there was always that pressure. This is a really weird tangent. But I know that there was always that pressure for boy and girl bands to be like squeaky clean. And obviously behind the closed doors, they generally weren't. Unless you were a rock star, in which case you were actively applauded for being dreadful. Whereas now I think actually genuinely most of these artists, especially in the younger generation, they are a lot more conscious and they're either completely honest about who they are and what they believe or you know they they sort of don't really fit into that mold that we've always given to them like they don't none of these people have asked for these you know sort of to be a role model and essentially most of them just like to make music um so yeah I think it's really interesting now to see how people almost manage themselves rather than allow the public to develop their persona or say you can choose how you want to view me but it's probably not how I view myself so and also it it does feed into the same conversation though because changing and challenging the way that things have been done in the past to have this new societal approach whether that's rock star heroes or whether that's the way that we perceive representation, visual representation in the media, these difficult conversations we're having at the moment is that messy stage where we chuck everything on everything that out of our closets. We're, we're actually having a look at what it is that we want to keep and what we want to take forward. Yeah. And then that means that in the future and future generations in the future space that we're moving into, these conversations have been had now so that these individuals in the future, every individual in the future can have a better experience. So it is worth it. It's just we're in that messy phase. Like the internet didn't exist 30, 40 years ago. It wasn't a thing. Like these are new things that we're all learning. Yeah, for sure. And it's again, it's the same with accessibility. You know, if we do all the hard work now, then years down the road, it's already done. Yeah, there are already 1.8 billion websites out there. How many of those are going to be accessible if every website that we have moving forward is built with some form of accessibility that we build on? Then that's going to mean that when we hit an obscene amount of websites, how many? What's the what's the population of the Earth? Is it seven billion? I don't know. <laughs> so I'm saying that I was like, that's not. It's obviously it's not even close to one website for every person although you think about it technically social media in itself is almost like a website isn't it so everyone has some kind of digital footprint look 7.9 billion so close my goodness that's a lot of people that is a lot of people 200 years ago the world population was just over 1 billion so in 200 years the planet has grown sevenfold to 7.7 billion in 2019. So I mean, we can see we can see why we're globally a little bit a little bit screwed. <laughs> a 
public, which I feel like this is a whole other conversation that probably is. That's definitely, that's definitely. <laughs> oh, I'll leave my soapbox to one side for that one. Okay, cool. Let's just let's bring it back to some of the active changes that we can make. Just um, I just want to touch on design. So we talked about fonts and we have touched on color blindness as well, which is something that I first encountered when I worked in the corporate world with someone who was colorblind. And it was interesting because you think that it would mean that the colors don't really impact them or they don't see much of a differentiation between them, but it's so individual. My boss could tell the difference between two different reds within like to the point where I would struggle. I, I found it within tolerance of what I would deem suitable because of print variances. Whereas for him, the contrast was so stark that he was like, no, that's not our brand. So it's understanding those objections and making it easier for people. And we're not saying that you can't have pretty colours on your website. It's not that at all. It's yes, just, no, it's not that. It's visibility, isn't it? It's contrast. Yeah. And making sure that you're not layering colours of fonts onto colour backgrounds that can't be seen that disappear in between it yeah so are there any other tips that you would have or any other considerations to keep in mind when it comes to designing for accessibility I mean you know you can try it's really difficult you can try and put yourself in someone's shoes it's really hard to do if you've you know and it's not always sometimes the best way but if you can sort of either think about how like how you felt when you felt really unwell for example if you've had the flu what would you need around you to be made easier like what you know did you find really bright screen you know even the levels of the contrast on the screen or saturation was that a problem for you did it hurt and what you know what would have helped you get better sooner it's it is really difficult I mean you know just closing your eyes and imagining right how do I know where anything is and how would I navigate that on a website so if you've got like that's actually another thing if you've got really really small buttons or like tiny things for people to click through or it's just a word and it's underscored and that is a link but it's not very obvious then you have to think about well how's anyone going to know that it's there if they you know they're not full blind but they might have a visual impairment or tunnel vision or something you know it's keeping just keeping in mind that it might need to things things might need to be bigger and with a bigger contrast than tone on tone and really small. It's just not helpful. I think you know, when you even think about the images that you use, like I said, you know, Unsplash, honestly, if you type in disability into there, it's got mostly people in sports with prosthetic legs. Um, a few wheelchair users and some of the photos are pure pity porn it's, or it's very elderly there's not very much of young people and if they are young people again it's a visible disability but it is really hard to communicate like you can't communicate mental health with a photo of a person yeah with their head in their hands and sobbing as they're looking out a window that's rain bad <laughs> yeah so it like it is it is a challenge but I think it's you know it can be really interesting to try and experiment with storytelling and how you represent people yeah I also agree when it comes to design and I think if there are any other designers or anyone else out there who presents concepts or proposals or any form of pack where you include imagery that isn't necessarily just you be mindful of the images that you're using to represent and propose projects pitches things like that because you can take that step to show how you can be inclusive of everything from ages genders races all of the things that we've we've kind of touched on and, and talked about you can make that step when you're pitching to show how you are approaching it and representing it which will give them an indication of how you will then do that for them yeah definitely and then when it comes to physical design you know there's it's it's not you know not everyone agrees with this method but I think it's kind of the only way that people can understand imagine you have no hands how are you going to open 
that packaging? How are you going to open that envelope? Is it going to have to be somebody else? Or is there a way that you can make it a bit easier? You know, like if there's really fiddly, I mean, everyone struggles with something that's really fiddly, like a tiny sweet wrapper. No one finds those easy, which is why the, the pull and twist method is really good but they're very rare that those actually work i find but yeah even <laughs> it's probably just me being impatient to get into a packet of sweets to be honest oh don't i remember like frutella where you had to try and pick up all of the paper wrapping and oh everything. always i think i genuinely think there are times i was like i'm just gonna eat the paper <laughs> just same gave up just <laughs> but yeah it's, it's little things like that which is you know i think why you know it's actually smarties being in a tube was quite easy because you could you know you could actually you could pop the cap off which i used to have endless fun doing and then you are pouring it rather than sort of having the little plastic bag and then you've got to rustle around inside it like there's lots of different ways of doing it but I miss Smarties so much I miss blue Smarties I miss more vibrant blue Smarties Yeah, one of the other things that I found is it's much lesser on the scale of these, but still impacts individuals like quality of life, I guess, to a certain degree is as someone who suffers with dietary requirements, any welcome packs, any goodie bags, anything like that that's coming from your business that doesn't kind of just kind of keep in mind that there are people out there who do have dietary requirements. And some of those are like lethal. They are fatally allergic to things and that's the thing yeah you can't be sloppy about it right absolutely so either just avoid it completely find alternatives that are useful that aren't being wasteful that are actually going to be helpful yeah or you know you could make sure that whatever you're doing is allergy friendly for the core four I think it's 14 14 core allergies that are out there because the number of events that I've been to where there are people eating these biscuits, dunking them in their tea and then trying to shake your hand and things like that. I mean, less so now post-COVID, but it's it's very awkward. And I just feel like, that's something else just to keep in mind that isn't it isn't necessary I've started I worked with someone who was fantastic her name's Laura Fellows so shout out to Laura and she gifted me a delivery voucher before our session perfect I could use that that's really good yeah I mean that's I do you know it's funny you say that I've been really struggling with because I like to put extra things in when I send out an order I'm like well it can't be food <laughs> it's you know uh is it gonna be a pencil and if it is then where did that pencil come from yeah is it eco and then you sort of start thinking well is it even eco to put all these extra things in like it's a nice thing to do should i oh but yeah trying to put food into something no things that i do um allergy free foods so there are some out there i just make sure that i'm very stringent with checking that they're they're free of the core 14 allergies and I do check with my clients when I work with them tea or coffee are usually good some form of beverage is usually good and if it's coming towards the summer seeds so you can plant things whether that's yes oh yeah I do love a bit of seeded paper or something that's good I mind you saying that though obviously I mean a lot of sort of my customers they don't eat at all so to actually put food in a parcel for someone that can't eat and that's not how they eat I'm like oh I can't do that either so this is why for me there's that extra level of I can't put food in I think I mean I did to someone that I know can because I knew them that's fine but yeah it's really I can't sort of second guess that with my customers generally yeah but that's that's a great point isn't it it's knowing your customers knowing your audience and then also knowing them as individuals and asking for those asking for what it is that they need exactly what you said right at the beginning what are their access needs perfect so I think is there is there anything else that you can think of that you would like to share in this episode or is there anywhere else that the listeners can go to start finding out more information maybe a book 
Mm. Yeah, the book's a good, the book's a good start, um, which is the Little Book of Ableism, which is in ebook, hardback, and paperback format. And that's you know I do signpost at the end of the book to other people to go to either on social media or sort of charities and so on that can give a different voice because obviously you know when you look at disability then you have the other marginalised groups. For example, the LGBTQIA plus community. 40% of them have a disability, 40%. So when you think about how big that whole marginalised group is and how how much, like they're a lot further down the road of representation than we are, but 40% of them are disabled and that's not really addressed by that community, which is why I signpost to Parapride because um, the founder, Daniel, is brilliant. But that stat for me, I was like, well, why though? Why is it so high and prevalent in that community? And a lot of it, unfortunately, is down to attacks and assaults and how and the mental health and how we've treated that community. So it's, it's sorry, that got very dark very quickly. But, you know, there are lots of amazing resources out there. And I do signpost in the book. But I mean, a quick Google, you know, if you just start typing in either the word disability or adaptive or accessible, there's so many articles. You know, Scope is always a really good place to start. I get a lot of my stats from the Papworth Trust because they've got some, they really break it down into sort of modules as well, like work, social elderly um you know education and community and all that sort of thing so you can see you i think to just learn what the barriers are then you kind of know how you can change them and you can you can be part of that positive impact and another thing to to sort of really keep in mind is once you've asked what people's access needs are i think you don't then need to say we're really good because we did this and that is again that comes back to virtue signaling like you know when someone gets you know mentioned in a, in the news because they put a ramp out for somebody that shouldn't be news that should be the standard. Like this year is the first year there's been a wheelchair ramp at the Oscars. It was the first year. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. Wow, that's disappointing. <laughs> Which, it's not great. And I mean, actually, I mean, it really, it, it annoys me. It kind of sounds funny. and We've all had to have quite a good sense of humour about it, but... Crip Camp, which was an incredible film about the disability movement in America, they lost out to that octopus documentary. <laughs> you just think, wow, we put an, octo- an octopus that's now dead, by the way, we put that above disabled people. And just like, mm, in terms of impact, which one of those should have really won? But it's because of Crip Camp that there was, therefore, a ramp. But, you know, it's not like there haven't been disabled people in Hollywood over the years. So Wait, so if that film that had been focused on disabilities wasn't Oscar nominated? I highly doubt that there would have been a ramp if they hadn't been Oscar nominated. I just, I think I always just assumed, and this is something that I'm sure I can't be alone in, I just assumed that these kind of things were already a standard. Yes, I think a lot of people do. It's in the same way that people assume disabled people maybe don't want to go to a nightclub. It's not that they don't, they can't get in the door or they can't use the loo or it's not, you know, there's not enough seating. I mean, even for me to go clubbing, I think the last time I went, I actually just found it really depressing. My friends were brilliant. They phoned ahead and found out, is there seating? Yes, there is. So I sat down and they take it in turns to come and sit with me. Turns out that's, for me, that was quite depressing. So I haven't gone back. But, but you know, it's, you know, yeah, it's like people saying, oh, I just didn't, you know, we just assume that disabled people don't want to be here because we don't see them. And you're like, yeah, that's because you've said you're accessible and you're not. And I think that's the other thing is there needs to be an awful lot more accessibility training, especially when it comes to retail and restaurants and pubs and so on, because... You know, you can phone up one member of staff and I'll say, yes, we are, because they they see they can see there is a disabled loo 
and that's apparently that is it whereas those are almost always used as storage these days or they're out of order and they're just like sorry for the inconvenience it's like what do you mean if all of your non-disabled sort of customers can't go to the loo they would not be here yes it's not exactly an inconvenience is it this is it's not inconvenient it's just you don't care enough to make sure that gets fixed so yeah and there's a lot of that it still drives me that's one of the things I see all the time it's like a daily irritant me so okay uh, we've talked quite a lot around online space but let's just touch very briefly on what would you what are the bare basics that we should be setting as standards for anyone who does own a like a bricks and mortar or a physical business so it's it's good actually because I've actually just come across a really amazing company that will be able to help so it's about more than having ramps and rails but of course checking for those is good then you have to think about the width of the door and the lighting the level of sound you know if you're a retail business and you've got blasting techno music that's not for everybody uh, but there's this brilliant company called Welcome Me and it's all spelled as one just as welcome and it's I'm pretty sure it's free to have a profile but essentially disabled people can have a profile on there and say what they need what their access needs are and it will if the shop is um, signed up to it which I think they're testing with a few big retailers it will say what time they're coming whether they want to be greeted or helped or assisted in any way or if they don't but also what their needs are so you can do your best to make sure that you are ready when that person comes in so there are tools now lots of tools being developed that would help and then I mean there's quite a few around disabled losers that are really interesting and they're things that I've only started to notice a lot more now is where we put the handle if you're sat down just imagine you're sat down and you've got to do everything sat down look at all where the handles are positioned around you and then imagine are they really twisty could someone is that going to hurt someone with arthritis which is why there should be the push buttons not everybody has them and not everyone has the budget for them but it's something to consider and then mirror height is a really interesting one that I had just not I still hadn't thought about and if you've got a mirror all the way up there how someone you know if it's not at sink level how's somebody going to see it um, and see themselves and then I think if you see something that doesn't look very accessible calling it out even if you're non-disabled you don't have to be disabled to start pushing for businesses and places around you to consider it and I think always asking you know if you're renting a space or if you're using a space ask them for their accessibility statement and if they don't have one then you can sort of work together on on why that is or at least you can let people know you know if you're creating an event just say these are the access points this is what we've done please let us know if you need more and then you know just again it just comes back to asking people yeah. you know if you want to bring people in ask every single person what they need and if they if they just tick nope I've not got any access requirements and no one has any at all then you know you don't need to worry as much about it but if some people are saying they have some even if it's just one person you should still do everything you can to make that person feel included and I guess for those who are renting property so they're not able to yeah make these changes. Like it's, it's a lot harder but I think in that case you just have to be really honest yeah. like either on your website or you know have a sign just saying we know this isn't great but we will do what we can and offer an alternative I think as long as if your if your physical premises cannot be up to scratch is there a way that you can do it online make your website super accessible although you can buy ramps um, I don't even think they're hugely expensive the ones that collapse where you can put out now, don't get me wrong non-disabled people while we've been running the pop-up shop non-disabled people that trip over it because they don't know where they're going and, you know they're on their phone the, ang- the immediate anger on their face and they look into me and I'm sat there like you try saying to me that you're annoyed that you tripped over that imagine not even being able to come in here and how annoying that must be but yeah you can buy those and they're not crazy expensive if you're renting somewhere then it's I think actually having that, I've seen people come in not knowing what it is that I'm doing in there just because they can actually get in. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the thing, the more accessible you are, the, the wider your, 
from a fundamental strategic point of view, the more accessible you are, the wider your customer base is. Absolutely. Like everybody wins. It's not really that anyone loses situation. This is just equality. And the one last thing that I want to touch on that you've mentioned a couple of times is an accessibility statement. So could you just give like a quick definition of what that is and how someone could go about getting one or creating one if they don't currently have one so i mean i think if you go on disability horizons there might be some good ones there not your grandma's um uk i recently met in real life hannah who founded it she's amazing um she actually sells guides on how to be accessible so you know buy i mean essentially buy accessible guides from disabled people don't buy it from a corporation or or riff off that but essentially as long as you have like a physical and a digital what you have what you've got that is accessible you don't have to list everything that isn't because people know, but if you at least tell people what you do have and then how you're trying to work around it, then that's all you need really. It's like if you've got a physical premises, then you have to say, you know, is the door wide enough? Is there a ramp? Are there railings? Is there somewhere to sit? Is there a disabled bathroom? And if you don't have any of those things, like not being scared to say you don't, because you're like you said, you're renting, you can't make any changes, but you can, you know, even creating an accessibility state in a rented property, you can then go to the landlord and say, you know, also, I mean, because it is technically, it's the law to be accessible, even on listed buildings. You are allowed to change a listed building if it's making it accessible. Um, but a lot of people buy their way around that particular law, which is frustrating. very frustrating. <laughs> is there a way that maybe, and this might be a completely different conversation or completely inappropriate, but hey, we're open to having these conversations. If you're in a row of shops and your shop is inaccessible, but one of the other shops is accessible, maybe there's a way that you could build some form of partnership with these shops so that you can have an accessible venue for all of the shops along that row could that potentially be a solution that's the thing yeah again it's yeah it's people coming together you know if they were yeah if there's a row of five and one of them is then if the other four push their landlords who's i mean quite often it's the same landlord so but you know they're not going to do it unless you ask for it so if you ask to be more accessible then you never know that the landlord might be yeah of course and we will make these changes um, so and again it's you know it's difficult because we built this world without accessibility in mind so we're all having to shove it on at the end but you know if you it's something to keep in mind for people building new places that if you just build it in it's there and you've done it and you haven't got to do it again yeah it seems so silly because it's like it would never be detrimental to someone who doesn't need it but it can make- exactly it doesn't hurt non-disabled people yeah I mean it even you know you think about how much easier it is to get into shops if they have a ramp for mums and their buggies or, you know, you've just, maybe you've just had surgery and you've got a broken leg and stairs or something of a faff. Ramps. You know, like it's it helps. It helps more. It doesn't impede anybody, but it helps everybody. Amazing. Okay, cool. I think that that is a wonderful note to kind of wrap up this conversation. So I would have one last question for you, which is from everything that we've talked about today, what would be the one key thing that you would say to listeners that they could maybe go away and take action on today or just something that is memorable enough for them to go that's the thing that I can do to start um well I hope they will remember to ask ask for access needs ask what their followers or their consumers or the people around them and this doesn't just it's not just about your business this is people around you as well sort of you know if you're going out to the pub you know does anyone is there anything anyone needs because when we start normalizing asking that question people that maybe have never said that they're disabled because they're scared to they might start feeling more comfortable and then we'll realize how many of them there are around us because 
like I said, it is one in five. So yeah, I think just saying what are your access needs and making it normal to ask and asking everyone that question. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much, Victoria. I found this conversation incredibly insightful and I I know that there's a wealth of information in here that the listeners can, can get benefit from, that can they pass on and make these changes and start implementing these conversations. So thank you. No worries. Um, and where can the listeners find more of you online? Well, yes, I realise I haven't really touched <laughs> touched so much on that. Um, so unhidden underscore clothing on Instagram or unhidden.com um, is the website. And then my Instagram is Victoria underscore is underscore unhidden. Oh, which is a bit of a mouthful. I'm considering changing it, but you know. No, it's perfect. All of the links will be in the show notes. So listeners, you can just click on through to the show notes, find all of the links there so that they'll take you through to find Victoria. And she'll be back here on Thursday to share more about her business journey and brand story. So if you'd like to hear more about Victoria, come back on Thursday. Until then, I would love to know how this has made you think about your business slightly differently, listeners. So let us know on our Instagram, which is at the Brand Lounge Podcast, or you can connect with me at shadow cat creative and we will continue these conversations in the brand lounge